Everybody, welcome, as always, to uh, our first-time guest and everybody online. Glad that you're here, and we'd love to see you in person very soon as well. Make sure you meet and greet people that you may have never met and greet before uh, on your way out today. Uh, we, we asked you earlier, what spirit animal do you relate to? You know, which one do you identify with? And sports teams like to identify with very strong, dominant animals, right? Like the Chicago Bulls, the uh, San Jose Sharks, Carolina Panthers, Detroit Tigers, Lions. Never mind. <laughs> Kittens, gerbils. Maybe you go the route of uh, Power Rangers and their Zords, which are their mechanical spirit animal weapons, right? The T-Rex and the Mastodon, saber-toothed tiger. Or maybe you go the route of superheroes, Wolverine, Black Panther, Batman, Catwoman. Maybe you go more of uh, a cuddly animal, a baby panda or a butterfly or a dolphin or a character like Winnie the Pooh or Barney the Purple Dinosaur. Whatever animal you relate to, I know that I, I'm... I'm just sometimes more confused than a chameleon in a box of Skittles. So I, I just know that I don't want to be a sheep. I mean, who wants to be a sheep? They're stupid. Uh, they're, they're weak. They're defenseless. They need a shepherd, right, to take care of them, to protect them. They are completely dependent. And it's hard for us to relate to sheep in our culture today. We don't have a whole lot of sheep roaming around, you know, the suburbs anymore. The, Closest we come to sheep is probably getting a gyro or a, a gyro or a hijo, however you want to say it. Uh, that's the only extent uh, that I ever associate with sheep. But it's derogatory to call people sheep. Or we might call them sheeple, right? People who uh, mindlessly follow all the trends that are docile and compliant and um, easily swayed who uh, will go along with whatever the media, the government is manipulating them to believe, being deceived, buying, sheeple like to buy all the same name brands as everybody else does. Jesus doesn't want us to be sheeple and conform to the world. He wants us to be good sheep because he's a good shepherd to us. You need a shepherd. And this is important because he's gonna show us how to have abundant life. What's that? Well, it's life to the full, like that movie theater candy, right? Good and plenty. That's what he wants to give you. And that doesn't mean you're going to have a pain-free life, a persecution-free life, stress-free life. You're still going to experience heartbreak and pain and betrayal and rejection and grief and all those things. But abundant life gives meaning and purpose and joy in spite of all that. You have abundant life as you follow the shepherd. Our big idea is to listen to Jesus to experience abundant life. Now, you may not feel like being a sheep, but who wants to be a shepherd? Who in the right mind would ever want to take care of dumb sheep who are always wandering around, getting lost, getting into trouble and danger? But Jesus comes along. He takes up that challenge. In ancient times, a shepherd was a metaphor for a political or spiritual leader. Israel was God's flock. Psalm 100 says it was he who made us. We are his. We're his people and the sheep of his pasture. And some of the greatest people in the Bible, their occupation was shepherd, right? Abel, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, David. God would sometimes put 
shepherds over his people Israel, kings, priests, prophets, but often they were not good shepherds. They were poor leaders who were more interested in taking care of themselves than in taking care of God's flock. And so the sheep follow that bad leadership and make themselves very vulnerable to predators. They become easy prey for the wolves around them, the other nations who come in and attack like Assyria and Babylon. So God sends prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel to tell the shepherds to stop mistreating my sheep, stop neglecting my sheep, stop feeding yourselves and start feeding my sheep. Take care of them so that they don't fear and go missing. Be gentle with them, not harsh. You're you're supposed to strengthen the weak, tend to the sick and the injured. You're supposed to seek and round up the strays. In fact, they weren't doing that. So as it was, God promised in Ezekiel 34, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them. How does he do that? Ultimately, he comes into the world. Jesus is our good shepherd who cares for God's flock. But you've got to choose him to be your shepherd. He will not force himself upon you to shepherd you. And until we make that choice, we continue to follow bad leaders. We choose poor shepherds who uh, keep us lost, who mislead us, who neglect us and starve us and lead us to slaughter, but not Jesus. Jesus loves you. He cares for you. He, He knows you personally by name. He wants to lead you into green pastures and beside quiet waters. He wants to restore your soul and lead you in the paths of righteousness and even walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. It's the imagery from the 23rd Psalm, and we often read that at funerals. And just yesterday, I did a memorial right here and read about how your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Those were the two main tools of any good shepherd back in ancient times, a rod and a staff. A rod was about a two-foot heavy thick piece of of wood with a knot tied on the end of it and a skilled shepherd would be able to hurl it like a missile at any invading predator like a a prowling wolf. The the staff we recognize more as the curly-ended stick that he would hold and use to guide the sheep as they're walking along the path, maybe going through a dark valley or a dangerous canyon. So what the Lord is telling us is as our shepherd, he wants to protect us, to guide us, to support us, to walk with us every step of the way through every dark valley. He wants to make you part of his flock. And you need a flock because sheep are prone to wander, which makes them easy prey for praying wolves. We, we need to be in his church where it's safe and yet Jesus warned us even within the church there would be wolves in sheep's clothing to look out for Jesus points out he's not only the shepherd but he's the gate or the door to the sheepfold the pen where the sheep are kept safe or if they're out in the you know in the the wilderness somewhere he might build a sheep pen out of rocks and leave an opening and at night the shepherd would actually lie down in front of that opening to keep the sheep in and to keep predators out. 
And anybody who tried to get into the sheepfold had to go through the door, which was actually the shepherd himself. Anybody who didn't go in through the door was a thief there to do ill to the sheep. So false shepherds will try to sneak in into his church and use the sheep for their own desires. So you've got to be so familiar with the voice of the shepherd that you would never listen to a thief, a false shepherd. Where do we hear the voice of a good shepherd? Right there in Scripture. His word is his voice, and you've got to get so familiar with Scripture that you are able to distinguish what's true from what's false. Stop listening to the voices in the culture. Start listening to what God says. Don't isolate yourself from biblical teaching because that will make you more vulnerable. Remember last week in John 9, Jesus heals that man who was born blind. And uh, the ones who were the shepherds of Israel at that time were called the Pharisees. They were the spiritual leaders and they didn't care anything for that man. Instead of rejoicing in him being cured by a miracle of Jesus, they instead used it as an attempt to take Jesus down by discrediting him by trying to accuse Jesus of being a lawbreaker on the Sabbath day but it was their hypocrisy and their hubris that caused them to mistreat that man to call him a sinner from birth and to throw him out of the synagogue but Jesus goes out and purposely finds the man leads him to faith and includes him in his flock in his fold Jesus comes into this world, enters through uh, the appointed way, through the scriptural prophecies, and becomes the door of salvation. Some of you might remember the old game show, Let's Make a Deal. You remember that? Where uh, there were all these different doors you could choose from, and people would try to find the door that had the best prize, like a car or a foreign vacation. Sometimes they'd pick a door that just had a small prize, like um, maybe a TV set or a um, hundred bucks. Sometimes you would get a zonk prize, right? Like a llama or a dozen boxes of rice or roni. You, you wanted to choose carefully. But God doesn't give you the option to choose door number one, door number two, or door number three. There are not multiple doors into heaven. There's either heaven or hell. Choose carefully. Jesus initially focuses on the lost sheep of Israel, God's original flock. But now he's swinging the door wider open to include the Gentiles and anybody who wants to put their faith in Jesus. They can come in and find those greener pastures of salvation. The church is God's Israel today. And the church has those who are called and gifted to be shepherds under him, we are called under-shepherds to the chief shepherd, Jesus. In fact, Peter writes in his first letter, So I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So notice they're called elders, shepherds, overseers. It's all the same role. It's not like a hierarchy of positions, but these are the spiritual leaders of the church. And another word for shepherd, the one that we use most often today, is pastor. Get it from, you know, out in the pasture. The shepherd pastors the sheep. 
I'm not the pastor of the church. I'm one of them because I'm one of the elders of the church. It's the same thing. And currently we have uh, four other men who are elders in the church. Uh, I think that title, the pastor, ought to be reserved for Jesus himself, the chief shepherd. But churches, congregations ought to have a plurality of pastors. Pastors take care of the sheep by leading them by feeding them, teaching them Scripture faithfully, directing them, discipling them, sometimes disciplining them to get them back on the paths of righteousness by going after wandering sheep. So it's crucial that the church has godly, qualified shepherds. Paul also uses that imagery in Ephesians 20, or in Acts 20, when he's talking to the Ephesian elders and warns them, be on guard against fierce wolves who are going to come into your church, who are going to uh, prey on your congregation through twisting of teaching and drawing disciples after themselves. So that's why the church, our church, needs godly men who aspire to that kind of good leadership. And that's the kind we have here. And our greatest responsibility is to make sure that you are listening to the voice of the Lord. Jesus loves you. And we love you because we love him. So Jesus says in verse 10, in fact, we'll all read this out loud together. Here we go. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Those are the religious leaders who misuse and abuse the flock of God. In fact, I just had someone this week tell me about uh, a minister in the Detroit region who just uh, got let go from his church because he was a bad shepherd. He was one of these guys who uh, was mistreating the flock. He was uh, a narcissist who wanted to use the flock to make himself look good on stage. A bully who uh, cared more about his own position than about the truth. These are the kinds of shepherds who can drive out the sheep and destroy congregations. The one that Jesus called hired hands, hirelings. They're not shepherds. To them, it's not a calling. It's just a job. They just show up for the paycheck. They want to exercise a kind of sick power and exploit God's people. Hirelings are more concerned with the size of their flock than the health of the flock. And they don't mind if a few goats get mixed in with the sheep from time to time. That's all right. They care more about their salaries than their souls. They are users and abusers. And if you have leaders that do not set a godly example and faithfully teach God's word and love God's people, do not follow them. Run. Jesus had no tolerance for those kinds of leaders who took advantage of the weak and the helpless, who turned the temple into a den of thieves, who sought only to kill him so they could maintain their positions of influence and prominence. And of course, the true thief behind it all is the devil himself. He's the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has a different plan for us. In verse 10, he also says, everybody out loud together, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. His sheep enjoy a fullness and a freedom. Don't be misled by the prosperity preachers who scam you for, uh, you know, promise health and wealth, trying to get rich off you while living in their mansions and wearing their expensive clothes and jewelry and watches and jet around the world. 
Okay? Abundant life isn't about any of those things. That's not what Jesus promised. It's about a quality and a duration of life that uh, the world can't offer you. It's not about material riches, it's, but it's also not a sour, miserable existence. It's one filled with love and peace and contentment and hope, it's something the world can't offer and it, they can't take it away. Now, people will look for that in all kinds of other places, in money, in materialism, in financial and business success, and sex and drugs and, and uh, alcohol and weed and thrills, you name it. But it's, it's like those stupid junk emails that keep showing up promising that if you click this link, will, you know, you're going to get rich. Or uh, the, the sleazy scammers on the phone that say, give me your personal information and your social security number and I'll give you all kinds of money. Well, uh, they're thieves and I'm not a sucker. I'm not going to do that. But Satan tricks us all the time with those kinds of empty promises uh, for abundant life. He did the same thing with Eve. She bought it, it killed her, and then she shepherded her husband into death too. Jesus says, say it with me again, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's not only great, but he's good, which is the same thing as calling him God because he said only God is truly good. Shepherds would... would tend to use their sheep for wool, for milk, uh, sometimes for meat, often for profit, but they would often be raised for slaughter to be used as sacrifices. Jesus flips the tables on all that, and instead of being the one to slaughter the sheep, he allows himself to be slaughtered. He willingly lays down his life for the sheep. The shepherd dies for the sheep. He becomes the Lamb of God the voluntary sacrifice for our sins. And he also rose from the dead so that we could victoriously rise as well. Jesus wasn't being paid to be a hireling. He's the one that paid for us with his life. He's here to help us in times of trouble, in need, in, in hurt, in danger. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. In fact, in Luke 15, he talked about a shepherd having a hundred sheep and just one of them wanders off and he'll go after that one sheep till he finds it. And when he does, he hoists it on his shoulders and brings it back home. And he, he asks his whole community to rejoice with him. Look, I have found my lost sheep. Luke 15, he says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. That's where we all have been, lost sheep. Maybe that's where you are right now. Um, will you continue wandering around? Or are you willing to let him lead you? Will you repent so there can be rejoicing? He knows you personally. Isn't it time that you really got to know him? He cares for you deeply. Do you care about him? He loves you so much. He died for you. Are you willing to live for him? Will you pick up your Bible? Listen to his voice. Read it a little bit more, a little bit more often. Will you apply and obey what it says? 
You may have a flock that you're trying to lead right now. Parents, you have a little flock that you're supposed to be taking care of. Next-gen leaders in our church, you have your flocks that you're supposed to be tending to. Group leaders, team leaders, you've got flocks that you're supposed to care for. The shepherds of this church are responsible for you. For those who want to be members of this flock, we're responsible for your spiritual growth, for teaching you sound doctrine, for pastoral care, for uh, spiritual protection, for correction. But you've got to let us know that's what you want, that you're willing to be shepherded like that. Otherwise, we're not responsible for you. You need a flock. And not just to be a wandering, floating believer. In fact, you may have been attending here for a long time and just assumed that you were a member of this flock. But unless you have purposely told us that you want to be a member, uh, we're not responsible for you. We don't know that that's what you want. We would love to be able to shepherd everybody, to help everybody out, to meet needs, to, to call on everybody who attends when... Um, when they're in trouble to provide hospital, visitation, counseling, memorials, funerals, weddings, financial help, facility usage, all the, we'd love to be able to do that for everybody. But it's our members who have priority on all those things. If you want to be a member, have you taken first step yet? Have you gone through a member orientation? When you become a member of the church, what are you doing? You're committing to the beliefs of this church, the core beliefs to the mission of this church, and you're placing yourself under the shepherding of the pastors here. And it means showing up. Because if you don't show up, we don't know what's going on with you. We don't know if you're okay, and we're supposed to go after you. Someone may just stop coming and still assume they're, they're a member. But the Bible doesn't know anything about inactive or indifferent church membership. We're not interested in having your name in a, in a database. We want to see you, know you, connect with you, help you grow. And if you're regularly missing Sunday worship, it tells us, it almost always indicates that there's a spiritual problem. That's why we have to assume that and go after the missing sheep. So if you have stayed away for a while or wandered away, come back. And if you are here, make sure you do that connection card every week, whether online or on paper, because it lets us know that you're here, you're involved, and you're doing okay. Or lets us know how we can help you. Members also have a say in who the shepherds will be. Now, we're not good like Jesus, but we're trying. And, you know, I point out it's Pastors Appreciation Month. We've got elders here and other staff who are trying to do their best. So I encourage you to show your appreciation, pray for them, support them, help them, because it's not always easy. And we're human, and we may let you down sometimes, but we want to be good under shepherds. So help us to help you. The good shepherd goes after and brings other sheep into his one flock. Will you do that? Will you go after other sheep and bring them into the one flock? Jesus only has one real church, one body of all those who have genuinely converted to Christ. And yes, we have this invisible unity among God's people in the world, but we're striving for a visible unity again, like in the early church, so that the world will believe because they see our love for the truth and our love for one another. One flock. 
Now, when Jesus said these things in John 10, again, it stirred up a whole lot of contention and division. They called him demon-possessed. They called him insane yet again because they hated so much what he was saying. It was unbearable for them to think that he could possibly truly be who he said he was, the Lord. And yet others questioned, how can he not be? How can anybody do the kinds of miracles this man does if he's not from God? And that's why Jesus is the door. A door is designed to keep some people out and some people in. In Matthew 25, he says, one day he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. Some will be in, some will be out. Where will you be? The door is open right now, very wide, but only for a time. While you have the opportunity, enter in. The Lord wants to lead you if you're willing to follow him, to put your trust in him, to repent of your sins, to be baptized into Christ, to become his disciple today. And so every week we offer that opportunity to text your name or to email your name in or to meet with a couple of folks who are going to be here at the front. When the music is playing quietly, you just come on down and talk with them, answer your questions, pray with you, help you take your next step. Maybe your next step is just to come back next week as we continue on in John chapter 10 to bring somebody with you, to let them know if they can't come on Sunday mornings, we've got this new Sunday night simple at 6.30. Help us to get the word out about that. Let people know. That listen to Jesus to experience abundant life. Now, as someone trying to be a good shepherd, I've got to talk with you for a few moments about life. You may not be aware, but over the next three weeks in Michigan, there's a very consequential election when there is a proposal on the ballot that is far more than just political. And I guess Jesus stirred up a lot of debate and contention uh, and tension, and I guess I can too. Uh, so I, I get that some churches can be too political, and I've always been careful about that here because that's not my role. You don't come here to listen to me talk about policy issues or political personalities, uh, even though I have very strong opinions about those, and I am willing to share them with you personally if you would like that. But especially if you're a guest today, you need to know that I do not use my position up here for that. My purpose is to help guide people to Jesus Christ, to teach his word faithfully, and to teach biblical morality, which can affect your vote. This is voter education because there are three proposals on the ballot coming up. I'm not going to talk about the first two because they're political. But the third one directly attacks a biblical worldview, the sanctity of human life created in the image of God, the family unit, and religious liberty. This is a huge, very serious deal and goes far beyond any reasonable debate about abortion. Now, you're welcome here, no matter what your political background is. But as disciples of Christ, we've got to stand up and speak out for what's right. Theft, murder, slavery, civil rights, those are all political issues, but they're also very much moral and biblical issues. And we shouldn't stay silent about those either. We should say something. And I would hate to have to look back one day and somebody ask me, why didn't you say something when you had the chance? And I certainly wouldn't want God to hold me responsible for that either. And you know, if you've been here for any time, I've been pro-life for decades, and I've taught on the sanctity of innocent human life many, many times. For example, from passages like Psalm 139, 
David writes, For you have formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And children deserve the right to life. And by the way, you know our church also offers an adoption fund for local Christian couples who want to pursue adopting. We want to financially help you with that because not only do children deserve a right to life, but really the hope of abundant life. I can't be a good shepherd and remain silent on such a foundational issue as this because once Roe versus Wade got overturned by the Supreme Court it returned things back to the way they were before 1973 when people got to vote on it so now it's no longer in the hands of the courts and the politicians it's in our hands once again and this new proposal 3 goes far beyond what Roe ever was allowing abortion at any age, at any stage, for any reason. And not only is it just another law, but it makes it permanent in our state constitution. And it's deceptively called reproductive freedom for all. But the actual language of the amendment isn't even on the ballot. When you look at the ballot, it will just give you a brief summary because proponents don't want you to really see what's in this amendment. The media is not going to tell you either. So i got to let you know, too much is at stake. And I've already sent an email to the church. I've already posted on Facebook. I've done all that. But now I need to let you know straight up personally what Proposal 3 does. It would result in abortions right up to the moment of birth, partial birth abortions, and even after birth, letting a child die if they determine that's what should happen. It would even let a child die who survives abortion. It would allow the termination of so many hundreds of thousands of babies. And my question is, are we going to protect children or not? Are we going to be their voice or not? I can't imagine any biblical Christian in good conscience voting yes on this proposal. Would Jesus do that? No, he's our good shepherd. So this is a matter of submitting to God and saving hundreds of thousands of lives or supporting and surrendering to evil. It could also eliminate conscience protection laws so that doctors and nurses who are opposed to abortion would still be forced to do them. Maybe you heard recently how the FBI raided the home of a Christian with their guns drawn in front of his children because over a year previously he had peacefully protested inside an abortion clinic by singing hymns. That's it wasn't even arrested for trespassing, but over a year later, they bust in and haul him off to jail where he faces the potential for 11 years in prison. Even hardened criminals don't get that kind of sentencing. So this is an attack against religious liberty. Proposal 3 also, because of its vague language, defines reproductive freedom to allow even minor children to get abortions, sterilization, puberty blockers, sex changes, without parental knowledge or consent. Folks, that is a direct attack upon the family and usurps our God-given role to shepherd our families as parents. And it could allow for taxpayer-funded abortions, which means you and I being forced to pay for them. It's wrong, and it's horrific, and it's expected to pass, which is why I... Otherwise, I may not have to stand up here and urge you because you would think everybody would vote no on something like this, but they're not. 
And if it does pass, it will make, it, Michigan will have the most extreme abortion laws in the entire world. We may lose the vote, but we're still going to stand up for what's right. And I want you to understand, you may be personally affected by abortion yourself. And we're not attacking you. We love you. God loves you. And Jesus is that good shepherd who offers you mercy and forgiveness. But it's not good. And we've all done things in our past that are regrettable, but that shouldn't stop us from doing what's right now. So I hope you'll join me in voting no on Proposal 3. It's important. So during these next few quiet moments, just use this as a time of reflection. If you're not a follower of Christ, think about this, pray about it, come up to the front as the music is playing, meet with somebody. If you are a believer, you get your communion every week when you come in. This is a priority. This is important for us because the bread and the juice remind us of the body and blood of Christ, what our life is all about. And in fact, he said that he voluntarily laid down his life. From a human point of view, it looks like Jesus got executed, but no. He gave up his life. And then he willingly took it up again so that we could be resurrected to abundant, forever life. Let's pray about that now. Lord, you are the source of life. We want to thank you for life, for abundant life, for eternal life. We want to pray for protection for life, that you would open eyes and decloud minds, and soften hearts and consciences with the truth and the conviction of your Holy Spirit. We pray for those who are walking in this world of the dark shadow of death, that they would be brought into the light. Lord, you're a good and great shepherd who gives us everything we need. We're praying for those who are struggling with hardship and grief and fear and anxiety, that you'd help them to rest in your green meadows and lead them beside peaceful waters. Father, renew their strength and, and guide us all along the right paths so that when we walk through these dark valleys, we'll have uh, strength and confidence because we know you're right there close to us to protect us, to comfort us. Lord, help us to live out this abundant life of fullness and freedom and share it with others because we ask it in Jesus' name.